A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Steve Orlando from Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and Image Comics, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest... Returning. Exactly. He's a two-timer. Before Twice in a year. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, that is. In a, I know. In 365. Yeah, I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on a wide variety of social media platforms. Plethora. Exactly. That, too. Facebook, Twitter... Instagram at the Marvelists or at the Marvelists. There we go. Because <laughs> you, you got to have that announcer voice. It's a good rebound. Nice going. Go ahead. <laughs> See, this is your WandaVision re- thing re- coming out. Rebound. We're talking about my dating life again. Jeez, Eddie. Globetrotter stuff, even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but you can also find us on all sorts of streaming platforms iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, etc., etc., Broken Ice Cream Machines, McDonald's, Beaten Dead Horses. You can also listen to us on Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as $3 a month and as much as $8 or more. Mm. And you can find the tier list on there, patreon.com slash The Marvelists. And you'll be able to get an episode of The Fantastic Voyage on the last Friday of every month. And as a matter of fact, Eddie... It's a monthly. Today, well, for the month of January, this episode will be for Fantastic Voyage... I'm trying to word today. Very, very difficult. Yes. But you will hear us speak with Marvel editor Tom Brevoort. And today, after this episode is concluded, we will be recording an episode of Fantastic Voyage with the person that is on the other end of the tin cannon string. He is a writer for DC. He is a writer for Marvel. And most importantly, because it's creator-owned, he is a writer for Image Comics on the series Commanders in Crisis. We are joined, ladies and gentlemen, with a returning guest, a two-timer, two-timer, Steve Orlando. Steve, good evening. Hey, thanks for having me back. Glad you're hopefully used to the intro and the length. So hey, it's shorter yeah, this no, time. You're not even close to the first people to call me a two-timer, so that's totally fine. <laughs> so, Steve, a lot has happened in this pandemic year, and a lot of confusion, a lot of, just a lot of frustration, a lot of all that stuff, things that end in shun, you know. Since then, we spoke to you, I want to say back in April. April. Good job. You you took the sandwich out of my mouth, Eddie. We finish each other's sandwiches. Yes, we do. Frozen references. Again, I can't believe I'm making that as a 32-year-old man. But, Eddie, Mm. uh, Steve, this episode, since that April, you are going to be making your debut with Marvel Comics very soon. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, as you alluded to. It's been delay interrupted, but we're finally we're we're, we're finally back in a, in a place nobody expected. So I can't really complain. And since it's been announced, there is a book that you're going to be working on. Tell the people at home what that book is. 
yeah, so I'm going to be part. It's actually there's actually two things out in March, uh, which I forgot about until right this moment. Uh, I'm going to be part of first of all the 50th anniversary of uh, the giant size man thing, uh, which we're calling Curse of the Man Thing. That starts in March, uh, runs through May. Uh, first, uh, it's a three part celebration. First issue features Man Thing and the Avengers. Part two picks up the story with Spider Man and Man Thing, and then the third part. Uh, will be revealed pretty soon in May Solicits. But being that we're using the most iconic characters in the Marvel Universe, it should be a pretty easy guess as to what uh, types of folks are going to be starring uh, in the third issue. And uh, after we're done celebrating Manthing or kicking off a celebration of March, I'm also going to be introducing a new Toxin, a new host for Toxin, in the Planet of the Symbiotes anthology series uh, from Marvel as part of King in Black. So... I'm uh, I'm in up to my head uh, in Marvel stuff, and it's a good place to be. You have the T-shirts for it, I know that. And keep buying them; they keep giving me more work. I keep having to buy more T-shirts. <laughs> I, I just have to put this as an aside. We discussed it on Twitter one day, but I love that you have the pro wrestling announcement strategy of having a T-shirt for it. Like, I feel like you're one step away from having a CWO Comics World Order T-shirt made. Yeah, well, tell Marvel that they should be making, uh, you know, they should eventually be making a Steve Orlando t-shirt and everything will work out. I should, I want to be wearing my own merch eventually. That's what I want. See, I want to see a, I might, screw it, I might be the one that does this design, but I want to see like a t-shirt done in the red block Marvel style and it says Orlando. Why not? <laughs> Remind me, I'm going to get this thing done tonight. It'd be the start of something, yeah. <laughs> Free of charge. Talk to, their, talk to their lawyers for sure, but I would wear it. I would happily wear it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you the Photoshop file sometime tonight. <laughs> now, like I said, you know, with that, I love that strategy that, you know, it again, it's, it's such a unique way that I've never seen done with announcing a project before, you know? And where did, where did you come across that, doing that idea? The Everglades, uh, of course. Where- I mean, I'm incredibly vain, so there's that. Um, but the real answer is, I mean, the exact thing that you said, like, it, I, I want to do things that are different. I wanted to, I want to do things that people, that people find memorable because otherwise, uh, in the social media age, I mean, these announcements come and go in, in re- minutes, you know, I'm so excited to be working on fill in the blank. And then five minutes later, it's RTing your friend, RTing your friend, RTing your friend's Kickstarter. And that's all good. But I, you know, we have to do more things to get noticed. Um, and I was, I got to do something. I can't do things that other people have done. I was at, uh, I, I remember I was at Kelly Sudeconic's house, uh, back when we could actually leave our houses. And she was talking about how to promote Aquaman, uh, that Fraction had like done an ASMR video of him reading and slowly tearing apart the pages of one of the Aquaman comps and potentially eating them. I don't remember. It was a long night. Uh, and I was, I thought that was hilarious, but you know what? struck me like a year later is I still remembered it. So we got to do something different. For me, uh, you know, I, I, as anyone who follows me on social media knows, I'm on my own fitness journey, having been uh, struggled with, struggle with health for a while. And so I just figured I would combine the two, you know, try to make it a positive thing. Uh, any step forward, personally and professionally, let's unify those things and let's have a little fun with it. And poke a little fun at ourselves as well. I mean, I put myself on a cover of Commanders of Crisis, I know I'm an asshole, uh, <laughs> and that's fine. And, you know, again, it's funny because of the whole uh, T-shirt thing. You talking about your fitness journey and whatnot. Myself, I used to do it publicly, but I don't do it anymore. But um, I still do it on my own. But I used, I used to do uh, 
wrestling shirt, wrestling gym shirt selfies. I would do it with uh, AEW former Ring of Honor alumnus uh, Shane Hagedorn and a couple other people, and we would just, you know, do random pictures wearing a pro wrestling T-shirt right after the gym. And it's cool for, like, the especially the accountability of it, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, I like wearing wrestling shirts to my specific gym as well in Boston just because uh, it's full of a lot of meaty bros that, that are sort of perplexed by wrestling and are just, like, very serious. So I try to keep, back, again, back when you could go to the gym and your gym wasn't your office like it is now for me, um, you know, I, 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 I would either only wear pro wrestling or only wear drag queen merchandise uh, at, at the gym. Just to, just to keep people on their toes. <laughs> and, you know, with the pro wrestling shirts, what are some of like your favorite obscure ones you have, and what is your favorite one to wear just in general? It doesn't have to be obscure. Um, I don't have, like, so... I don't have, a, like, a ton of old ones, because I really only got into wrestling, like, four years ago. I got, uh, Six years ago now, I guess, damn. Uh, but to answer your question, my favorite one is probably the... Uh, and we'll get into the obscure in a minute. But my favorite one is probably uh, either either uh, the Best Friends shirt that has uh, Sue giving the middle finger. <laughs> uh, or the da- I, have, I have a Dan Housen shirt I made a cutty out of that is where he made his face like the White Claw logo. And it says, Too Spicy, Spicy Water, which I'm also a big fan of. I have the, stick, uh, the sticker, and it's inside of my uh, record player of the uh, Spicy Water of Dan Housen. <laughs> It very nice. On my, we'll break this news here. Dan House and I are going to collaborate on a Commanders in Crisis photo cover. So we have no idea what it's going to look like, but it's going to happen before the end of the series. I'm assuming he's going to be uh, very nice, very evil at the very least. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, he turned, I mean, we just got to talking to both like comics. It was after they announced Darkhold, and then I went on Good Night Housen with Dan Housen, and that was real fun. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's an all right dude. And yes, quite nice and quite evil. Um, but as Obscuria goes, um, let me see. Probably the actual most obscure one is I have a Russian lion George Hackenschmidt uh, shirt, and Hackenschmidt is one of the guys that's looked at as kind of pioneering professional wrestling. He was a shoot athlete and continued to be one, but also uh, had one of the first ever quote-unquote professional wrestling matches with Simon Gotch, uh, and then they had a rematch. So we're talking like early 1910s. That's pretty obscure. One of the uh, ones that I have is... Uh... A again, Danhausen. Danhausen's pretty obscure, you know, to the mainstream audience at least. I mean, I loved. I mean, I think Danhausen has won the the internet when it comes to uh, the pandemic and, and pro wrestling. Uh, even when people try to get over on him, you know, I, I recently saw that he was selling. Someone bootlegged his Danhausen merch, so he took a screen cap of it and, ma- and sold a shirt that was bootleg of bootleg Danhausen shirt. Well, no, uh, it was Dan Hausen. Oh, I see. I, that's my bad. I love I uh, love that design so much. I think it's one of the. It is so self aware and just amazingly hilarious. Yeah, and I mean he knows how to react uh, and, and keep on his toes, and, and that's really really important. Uh, but yeah, I love. I mean, I love that hack shirt. What else do I have in there? Um, man, oh, and I just love. I mean, it's not even that obscure, but I have a Shotzi Blackheart tank that I'm a big fan of that just says "Ballsy Badass" and has her back from that one that was her get her gimmick, uh, and it has her helmet with the devil horse and shit on it. And I just genuinely love that shirt. I I will wear it around not to the gym as well, uh, but that's in there too. Um, 
But it's really hard to beat, honestly, the, the Sue giving the middle finger because people don't even know what that is and they like it. See, I want the uh, best friend shirt with Sue where she's driving uh, Chuck and uh, Trent in the minivan. And it's just, it's just such a confusing looking shot. I mean, it's all, I mean, I can't believe they didn't put her on a, on a forklift, honestly. Just because, you know, AW is so obsessed with, like, giving the nod to WCW. Um, but I do really like them. I mean, I have for a while a Sue Young shirt that I really like, too. But I actually just, that got so, I, I, I made that. A common problem probably only to me is that I will cut a shirt so that it is so whorish that eventually it's not a shirt anymore, uh, and then it's got to go. One thing, by the way, you just mentioned you know, them trying to copy w- or WCW with back in the day. Which do you think is going to happen? Sue on a forklift, or will Chuck Taylor finally say shit on TV? Oh, shit. No question. I, I don't even have to... You know, they. I, I was mostly joking about that, not them giving a nod to WCW because it's clear they want that WCW energy. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I like it because I was a WCW guy. But nobody really likes Sue, Sue on a forklift unironically. Like between that and like Vince Russo being the champ, I feel like those are things that are symbolic of their of their decline. So, uh, but you will see the other thing happen almost without almost without question. One day, fingers crossed. And in regards to a lot of that stuff, you know, we're seeing a a lot of parallels between the pro wrestling community and the comic community. And obviously, you know, there are the negative elements, you know, just oh, so lovable fans whining about things. And that's coming from a person who whines a lot himself. Right, Eddie? Me? No. no. I'm talking about me. I oh, whine a lot, Eddie. Well, you know. <laughs> Eddie, uh, do you plead the fifth on this one? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. But there are also a lot of really great things. And for you seeing the, you know, the crossover appeal of both communities, what is your favorite thing about both together that you see in both? Um, I mean, I love the enthusiasm and I love the engagement. And, and yeah, when it, when it becomes unbridled or, or, the, ex, or the expectations turn into anger, uh, then, then that's challenging. But that's honestly a relatively small uh, percentage, I think, of, of fans of either, you know. Um, and even so, like, I would rather have that have people be passionate than have them not give a shit, yeah. uh, even, even if it sometimes gets out of hand. Um, so, I mean, I think both comic and wrestling, uh, they love story, they love wild characters, and they're willing to embrace wild ideas, which, which is, is really exciting to me. And, so, you know... And they surprised me. I'll be the first to say that when uh, when AEW signed Orange Cassidy, I thought that was a genius gimmick that was only going to work in the indies. I didn't think that people were going to get it on TV. And then here he is, and kids love him uh, because, uh, especially, but people love him in general um, because they, they're willing to embrace newer and, and stranger things. So I like that, and I also like how fast it is. You know, you comics comics can come out relatively quickly. Wrestling is especially if it's WWE, is usually written like within 30 minutes of when TV starts. So it can be very topical, uh, and I think that that's great in both cases. And, you know, on the topic of Orange Cassidy, I love the character also because he's the greatest Halloween costume. I went to Eddie's house for Halloween two years ago wearing a denim jacket, his T-shirt, and uh, skinny jeans and aviator sunglasses. That was a costume, Eddie. That was a costume? Okay. It was not me being lazy. It was <laughs> well done. I- I also love the fact that we're now, you know, because of the character of Orange Cassidy, we're getting an Orange Cassidy action figure, and they specifically made a point 
to mold pockets into his jeans so you could put his hands in his pockets. That's I mean, like, what's the point? What's the point without it? Exactly, and you can have him do like the little topes over the top rope. It's great. But Eddie, uh, just getting back to what I thought was the topic, primary topic at hand. Uh, more, more than just comics. Yeah, Man Thing, Avengers. I had first caught wind of this, so to speak, in, in an odiferous way in a previous issue of Marvel Previews, and I said, "Oh, what's going on here?" So, how did this whole concept come about? If you can say, Steve. Well, before before you do, Steve, Eddie, where, where'd you get that book, that word from, the odiferous? Did you did is it's your uh, just, where the day calendar treat you well? <laughs> it's been around for a while, and I've used it on occasion, and here we are. Yes, we are. Uh, well, man thing that, I mean, that came about really, really, you know, it's, it, it's not, a. the implementation was actually pretty random. You know, I, I had assumed that I was going to hopefully do more with Marvel, but it was going to be after we finally found time to schedule Dark Hold. And out of nowhere, honestly, the editor, Mark Panizia, who is mostly a star, the Star Wars editor, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to be part of it, maybe because of. The other stuff that I've been doing, the you know, and promoting in the uh, in my originals, uh, but for or maybe because they're they they were trying to sort of cycle me back in, knowing that I had been on a definite pause. But you know, it was it was a very comic story. I was I was you know, working on something else. You get a DM ask if you, if we can talk, and then it was this man thing offer. And the, the really sing, uh, singular thing about it is that Mark and I really really hit it off immediately. Like we're both Star Trek guys. And we both wanted to do something that was both reverent to everything that's happened with Man Thing in the past 50 years, but also that wasn't precious and was willing to re yeah, build, strengthen its foundation. I don't want to say rebuild its foundation, there's nothing wrong with it, but strengthen it uh, and make him even more pivotal. Learn and study what is great about him in the Marvel Universe and only make that bolder and only apply that wider. So it was just my type of creative experience, and, and you're going to see that in the book. You know, we. We show more than ever why he couldn't be any other character. It's not like you could just drop Swamp Thing in there into a Man Thing story. They're two different characters, and that's our job to show people that. Same with the Heat, by the way. Uh, same with Garbage Man, Aaron Lepresti's character. This isn't just about Alec Holland. Uh, you know, it was great to find someone who had the same goals as me. Celebrate what's come before and set the character up for success in the future. And, you know, that's what we're going to try. That's what we're going to do in these three issues. I tried to think of how does one get from, you know, putting together Man-Thing and Avengers. And just as of this recording, trying to figure it out. And the only thing I could kind of come, come down to with like a common denominator was the word serum. And that they have vowels in their names. Okay, fine. Uh, well, you're not, I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, that's, and that's not even a spoiler, you know. Uh, yeah. Ted Dallas was in Project Pegasus. One of the, he was trying to recreate the super soldier serum uh, when he had his accident. Um, so you're dead on there, actually, in, in realizing that there's actually more of an emotional connection between Man-Thing uh, and at least Captain America than people might, might expect at first blush. And you might also think about who was also in Florida working with him at that time. If you want to think about how we're going to get to Spider-Man. Mickey Mouse. Oh. <laughs> well, I technically am right, because Disney World. I know, because previously it was copyright infringement or something, but yeah, we're all we're all under the same umbrella. Ella. Ella. Really? Yeah, Are we I'm on a reference? I'm that news right now. It will be the first Disney crossover. Mickey Mouse is going to show up at the book. <laughs> hey, 
the Sunshine State. We're there. Sorry, I'm I'm shocked we got our first Rihanna reference on the podcast now. That's exactly right. So there. I mean, unfortunately, he's going to be afraid a man's going to get set on fire. But that's how it goes, man. It's all about a man. Things all about the emotions. Yes. It's funny because when uh, Zdarsky joined the Daredevil title, I remember his first arc was called No Fear, and it genuinely got me hyped at first because I'm like, oh my God, Zdarsky's doing a story where it's Man-Thing meets the uh, meets Daredevil because Daredevil is the man without fear, and whatever knows fear burns yeah. the Man-Thing's touch. That's, I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, is he going to know fear right now? <laughs> We have, you know, we well, have... don't think I haven't thought about that. In yeah. my opinion, and, and, and that, you know, Daredevil is not one of our focus characters for the event, so I'll say, like, that did cross my mind, and I would love that moment. It reminds me of, because you, you never think about what no fear means in the context of another character. It reminds me of, uh, this is a DC thing, so I'm sorry, but when I was a kid in Justice Society, uh, there was this villain, Egg- Exton, uh, and Exton is a time-based villain, and, you know, he's wiping the floor with the JSA, but then he tries to age Hippolyta back to when she was a, a child. She tries to age her back to a fetus, but she's immortal. So his powers in that respect are completely useless against her. Uh, and, and it's an aspect of her ability, immortality, in contrast to his time manipulation that I never thought of before. So um, that's the exact type of thing that you pointed out with, yeah, Daredevil's a man with no fear. You only burn if the man thing uh, touches you and you are afraid of him. So there's a surprise to be had there, and we're going to keep trying to pull things like that out. Uh, Steve, just a quick little aside. I'm watching Eddie as you mentioned that character's name from the Justice Society, and he closed his eyes, looked up a little, like he was listening to a jazz song, trying to like soak it in, like, hold on, let me try and you know picture which villain he's talking about. And that was a sight to behold just now. That was wonderful, Eddie. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. He saw a lot more than I exhibited, I think. I, I don't know. Were you, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, the notes to play at that moment? No. <laughs> trying to find, you know, fill the jazz with the notes Just that a radio there. announcer. I'm not a performance artist like You know, that. speaking of jazz, by the way, Eddie, I recently uh, thought about Jelly Roll Morton, and I used I took a jazz history class in college, right? I don't know. Did you? Well, I did. Okay. And every time I heard his name, I'd always think to myself, that is a delicious name. <laughs> That was my college education at its highest point. Tastes great, less filling. Okay, sure. But I digress. These are these are the kind of digressions that this show will go into. Me talking about eating a human being, technically. <laughs> but again, well, you and you and Army Hammer, man. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> I ate his liver with some fava beans. Uh, nice candy. Uh, uh, what a piece of shit! That's all I'm gonna right? say about that. Uh, and I'm not even going to make more jokes about it because I, I was running my mouth about it. And Leah, Leah Thompson pointed out, like, there are real women who are victims of this. So it's not a joke, yeah. but I am here to say that that guy sucks. But damn, just hearing him. <laughs> a plus, man, A plus. A, a plus, 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 would eBay again. But, oh, man. Eddie? Because I'm sorry. I'm so off the track right now. I don't yeah. know where to go with this. Okay, well, I was going to try and get a little more info about this storyline and are we allowed to ask or are you allowed to divulge a little Steve as to what the locale might be as to where we find Man-Thing and Did you call the him Avengers? Little Steve? No. Like, I mean, I'm assuming well, the Everglades, but, well, you know. Uh, there was, I mean, yeah, the locale, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's an expansive event, but it starts as it has to in Citrusville, you know, and, and I, I'm happy to talk about it because these things are in the solicit. We're, inter- we're introducing 
new villain uh, named Harrower. Uh, Harrower is connected both to Man-Thing, but also Horticulture, the sort of eco-terrorist that showed up in the current, like, Dawn of X-Men Hickman run. Um, the thing about them is that their goal is to sort of trim humanity back to a reasonable level uh, so that, so that the, the, the ecosystem, the biome, can reach harmony again. Well, Harrower is their young apprentice. You know, they're, they're the golden girls as eco-terrorists. Harrower is their great niece, uh, one of them. And like many young people, uh, she doesn't have time for their, uh, for their sort of caution and their wisdom. She doesn't want to uh, trim us back. She thinks that we had our shot. She wants to wipe humanity off the board and, you know, in a couple bill- hundred million years, let something else get a shot at the top of the food chain. So when she positions, or excuse me, when she pitches this plan to them, too much for them. You know, they say she's gone too far. They disown her. They kick her out. And that only pisses her off more. Uh, so she enacts this plan, uh, give, gives up on science, which is their thing, and embraces the supernatural, and goes on with her plan, uh, which is to essentially hijack Man-Thing's powers for her own good and take that thing that we just talked about, whatever knows fear, burns in the touch of Man-Thing, and take that idea worldwide. And that's where the first issue kicks off. Wow. Okay, because when you said hijacks Man-Thing's power, I'm thinking, well, that's something that I don't even know if Rogue could even try to do. Well, the thing about the thing about Harrow is uh, she has power similar to Buana Beast in DC, but it's for but it's for plants and 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 for flora and fauna. So in biofusion, biofission, she can essentially take you and press you and mash you up with like a tree or a, or, a, or another human or anything to make these sort of horrific body horror hybrids, which is actually what Wannabe's power is. It's, it's quite scary uh, when you actually think about it. So she can do this with plants and animals, and that supernatural power is what allows her to do what is kind of impossible in general in man thing, and that's she rip out his nervous system, rip out his internal organs, and, and take control of what remains, which is his burning flesh. Uh, it's not something a lot of other people could do, but because she has control over the over plant and animal matter in a supernatural way, just like man thing, uh, yeah, she's able to do it uh, in a much more gruesome way uh, than, than, than folks might expect. Which uh, do you can you say, Steve? Which members of the Avengers roster can we find in this? Uh, oh, I mean, it's not. Yeah, I absolutely can. It is the full current Jason Aaron roster is in the book. So, I mean, anyone who's in the, the ongoing Avengers book is going to be in this, and then it's going to aggregate us. We add Spider-Man, and we add our other cast going forward. So, uh, you'll have you'll have uh, everyone for the current Avengers team, which off the top of my head, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Black Panther, Blade, uh, Thor, uh, She-Hulk, and that might be it. If I'm if I'm omitting someone, it's just because I wrote it a couple months ago. It's not because they're not in the book. Right. Um, and then once we move on to Spider-Man, we will at minimum have uh, Miles and Peter in the book, not to mention some surprising guests as well. If those don't know, uh, for those who may not know, and that would include me, is this designed to be a uh, limited run, or is it going to be an ongoing thing? Uh, no, this is, uh, this is, they're oversized issues, three issues, uh, April, May, excuse me, March, April, May. Uh, and then the hope, of course, is that we can dig into a little more uh, with 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 man thing once you got folks see his new status quo uh, and we're working on that right now um, but yeah either way this is going to be a complete story three oversized issues nice collection after folks if folks don't want to do uh, monthlies 
uh, and it will it will position him uh, to be more powerful and more unique than ever in the Marvel universe, and still be unquestionably Man Thing. Now, in regards to Man-Thing, one of the much maligned things about the character over its almost 50-year run, which, again, is a surreal thing to say, yeah. is the unfortunate nature of the name. And for myself, I remember going to a convention in New York with uh, Eddie, and I remarked, Hey, Eddie, I bought two giant-sized Man-Things. I now have two giant-sized Man-Things. How hard is it not to make jokes, but, like, it's hard to describe, you know, like that nature of the name, like dealing with that. I mean, we don't call him giant size in the book, uh, but no, you're right. I mean, I think, but I, I think that also goes to the, the era it came from. It, 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 it was, it was camp horror uh, and it's meant to be very primal. And I think it works. I mean, the reason I don't think it, it, it floats even more when it comes to parody is that he himself is kind of an instinctual excuse me, uh, an instinctual creature. He, he can't talk. He's not like Swamp Thing. So I think it's balanced, at least, for the fact that he, he can't be there making jokes and people can't make jokes to him because he's a shambling mass that's, you know, uh, not cognizant in the way that other Swamp creatures are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's somewhat ridiculous. I love that about comics. Not the, I mean, and, and it's by far not the, mo- the most ridiculous or only ridiculous name in comics. I mean... I tried to get Bybeast in there as well, just for, for on principle, uh, but but I couldn't do it. Um, but I think that's why you know it's Curse of the Man thing and not like Return of the Giant Size Man thing, for example. Yeah, right. Uh, or if it was my life, like reasonably reasonably appealing Man thing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, see, on that note too, you know, I don't know which of the titles that got the giant size uh, title, which character got that that title, or where where it started with. But I just found it kind of odd, funny, haha, that in, I guess, the comic guides, and it's not in my collection, that this title is filed under G for giant size. Not under well, the actual. You know. I mean, he debuted in Savage Tales, actually. So that's why, you know, before the announcement, I was tweeting out something savage this week. Uh, I think my sometimes my cuts are a little too deep. Too deep. But that's because he really debuted uh, in Savage Tales, not Giant Size Man Thing 1. In the interest of fairness, if you had said that, if I had seen that tweet, I would have assumed you were going for, like, a Conan book, like Savage Sword of Conan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and I would do that in a second, but I can't just give the announcement away, folks, uh, before it comes out. Otherwise, I'm just making the announcement. Oh, yeah, no, no, I mean, but, like, with the uh, the subtle <laughs> nods of, like, the uh, something savage is coming, I'm like, wait a minute, is he on Conan? As my eyebrows go up, like, repeatedly throughout as I'm reading that tweet. Well, I love Conan, but Zub is doing a very good job on that, so I don't want to get in his way right now. Yeah, but if we're talking Savage Tales, then, and I do remember that too from the, what, early 70s, I guess, or so, and, you know, Kazar being in there, and I guess Cull, perhaps, also. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, going back over to Man-Thing, though, and also with your t-shirt announcements, where the hell did you find a Man-Thing t-shirt? <laughs> uh, the internet, folks. Uh, I mean, as as you could probably guess, um, yeah, no, I mean, I I searched and I found it, it's one of very few, but it's not the hardest one. Finding a toxin shirt uh, was actually much harder, but I did it, uh, so Wait. you'll see that the week that book comes out. Wait a minute, you said toxin. What does toxin have to do with anything? Is there a book coming? Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Yeah, no. He, so I'm debuting a new host for Toxin in the Planet of the Symbiotes, uh, the same month, uh, the same month that Man Thing starts. Very cool. Congratulations on that. And 
how does it tie into the overall madness with the symbiotes? Uh, honestly, the, the nice thing, if you're a newcomer, is uh, it, it takes place in that world, but it's very much focused on the new status quo for toxins. So, like, the, 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 the antagonists in it are a reaction to King and Black, for sure. Uh, but, you know, we, I, we, I love the setup we have uh, for the new host uh, and, and toxin relationship. So if, by, if somehow you're coming in clean, uh, all, you know, all you really have to know is that King of Black happened, uh, and then this is the sort of reaction. The nice thing is the toxin, last time you saw him, was dying in a fire. So he's not really participating uh, in, to a great extent in King of Black. But Steve, did you say that, the nice thing? Uh, I'm sorry? <laughs> did you say the nice thing? Well, yeah, because we don't have to worry about if he's appearing in King and Black one way or another. He comes back during it, as we'll see, uh, especially if we give him more room to work with him. But it's not as though you have to know everything about Dollar or, or, or and such to come into this book. It's a bonus if you do, and it enriches it. But this is something you can read if you've seen the movies. Hell, if you just know what a symbiote is because you watched the cartoon when you were a kid like me. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, this is about setting up, uh, the new person that is in the toxin symbiote for success, uh, and showing how he fits in and showing how he's different to, uh, well, where Venom and Carnage and all your other favorite, uh, symbiotes are going to show up in that series ends, but I can't tell you. Oh, please tell, tell, <laughs> tell. They all open a hair salon. Don't tell Donnie I spoiled it for <gasps> Okay. Now you know. See, I'm on board with that. I would read that story. And get a do while you're at it. Well, yes. A nice quaff. That's right. Now, in, in addition to the work you're doing at the House of Ideas Marvel, you're also working on a creator-owned title, Commanders in Crisis. Tell the audience at home about that. I mean, Commanders in Crisis is my, is, is my love letter to comics. Uh, you know, there, there's a, a great space for, like, deconstructionism and, and everything going on with superhero books and it's been that way for a long time it's what got me into comics however uh that's not what we're doing in commanders of crisis we are doing big ideas optimistic superheroes without a hint of self-deprecation uh but with a but with a provocative uh tone uh that is in keeping with 2020 so we have um the 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 hyper con the, the hyper condensed storytelling that you would have in like a, a classic silver age Avengers or Justice League story, or, you know, the, as the, the condensed storytelling that Grant Morrison sort of pioneered in, or re-pioneered in All-Star Superman. Um, and you have that optimism uh, of superheroes doing good, or folks doing good in a world that is fighting to be good. Um, but it's wrapped up in the, in the complexities of, of, of our modern world. It's not as simple as things seemed in the 60s. I say seen because they certainly weren't simple then, uh, no matter what the media and, and storytelling I should tell you. Um, but we do have that optimism. We do have that hope, and we do have that, uh, that concept that we need to give folks big ideas and tell them that it can work out. Uh, and it's going to be a struggle to get there. That's what's going on in the book, especially with the latest reveal we had in issue four. Uh, but this is for folks who grew up uh, you know, reading back issues. They want a book that feels modern and fresh. Uh, that, that knows is a wild superhero book and is ready to take them on a ride. And that's what we've been doing uh, since issue one. I'm going to go jump back. One thing you said, too, about, Steve, the oversized issues that are coming out for the three of them for Man-Thing. And to me, I'm not sure if that means, well, of course it means X number of pages, 
but is that going to set me back five? I don't know, oh, six? Geez. What is it, eight? What does it mean when it's oversized? Eddie Penny Pincher Wilson. <laughs> Uh, it means, quite honestly, that I do not know what they're priced at uh, because I because I'm on the creative side. So hopefully that they are hopefully they are somewhat reasonable, uh, but that's not a dodge. Uh, that you know at, at the big two, I don't really have you don't you you know we don't really get a lot of input or interaction on the sales side. So I am sure that information is in the solicits, but I can't break that news or answer that question now because I simply don't know, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. Yeah, no, uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. And Peter, you know, it's just a question. Yeah, it's, no, it's I'm so... not sure. But I would expect that it's not so unreasonable. It's 30 pages of story, but there's still going to be ads, uh, right. which usually helps keep the price down. So I wouldn't expect... I wouldn't expect eight bucks, but don't hold me to that. That's just me talking out my ass uh, with what I know about comics. I try to try. To, I try to understand the current terminology in comics and stuff as best I can, because oversized can mean, you know, not your standard, let's say, eight and a half by eleven format or whatever. And looking at the current Marvel previews, I'm seeing what Venom 200 coming out, and it's going to be nine ninety nine because it's a milestone issue. That's oh, to me that would be oversized in a sense. So it's. I mean, it's, the price you know, seems oversized for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to cut that one out just in case? <laughs> I said seems. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, another, by the way, another question I would imagine Eddie's going to ask. Steve, will the uh, issue number be on the bottom of the uh, cover or the top? Because that's a very important factor for Eddie as well with filing his books. It's, it's a flashback you know, you here. You guys think that I, I mean, uh, let me look. <laughs> See, he has a better shot at that answer than my, than the other question. All right. This well, is... I haven't gotten the cover dress for one, but I might have it for two. Let's see. <laughs> Uh, well, so I have the cover dress uh, for issue two because it was solicited, but there's also no number on it. So it's possible, um, you know, if it were me, I would guess that it's going to be in the upper left. But uh, actually, the dress I have doesn't have a number, so I'm, I still can't help you. I'm looking at Eddie's brow. It's just, you know, it's glistening right now it's, with sweat. You know what? It's Nowadays, it's better than it was in, what was it, 2014 yeah, or thereabouts with that. It's air conditioning. You don't have to sweat that much. That it's, and it's winter. God-awful red bar across the bottom. That's where you always <laughs> found the issue numbers for X number of months. And it's like, come on already, please. One thing I have to ask, by the way, with... Commanders in Crisis being a creator-owned book, you mentioned about you're not entirely sure about the pricing of a book for, you know, the big two, Marvel and DC. But as a creator-owned book, are you, like, is there any input from you for the pricing of the book, if it's like a book at Image or, you know, creator-owned? There's input for sure, but it, you know, it varies. Uh, I mean, you guys always get the truth me. It varies depending on who you are. Uh, and also, you know, it, they are, they're the folks largely selling the book so uh, you want to generally take their guidance as to what they think is going to be the most successful so yeah you absolutely get say um and you i would guess that you get final say um but you know when you come into image they have a whole sales team that's been reading the industry you know you know long before and after you're going to be there so it's a conversation um but they also tend to usually have a good idea about what's going to be most successful uh, both to move units and to have a good return for the team, because uh, oftentimes we're working completely uh, on the back end on image books, and so we, yeah, I mean, like without sounding mercenary, we put months into it. We want to make money, uh, so it, it, it's a little bit of both, but you certainly get more of a back and forth. I think there. 
it blows my mind still on the topic of image that you know Todd McFarlane's Spawn is still a two dollar ninety nine cent book every month, and I've never seen you know like the last book I remember that was two ninety nine was Deadpool, and then you know the red bar came along on the bottom. Eddie you know was upset, and then here we are four dollar book four dollars yeah That's but it's standard now. It's just it's wild to see like that book on its own you know Spawn still doing the two ninety nine even you know Savage Dragon his contemporary. Four dollars, or even you know, I think the graphic fantasy book is going to be uh, reprinted, reprinting the uh, early, early Savage Dragon stuff. First volume or first issue, nine ninety nine. Oof. And as an Eric Larson fan, I probably will be still buying it. But I digress. But it's it's just wild to see the evolution also of the pricing points in comics. You know. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to make a comment on a specific company other than to say that as in any business, folks are going to charge as much as they can, Yeah, uh, you know, which is not me like revealing some comic secret. That's the, that's the reality of any type of consumer business. Um, so, but it is balanced, you know, the, 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 the industry is very complex. It's a small, you know, and, and especially the direct market. So. It's hard to please everyone. I'll give you an example uh, broadly. Uh, you know, when DC went held the line at two ninety nine, mm-hmm. um, you had a group. You had a group that was really excited about that because they said, "Okay, these books are less expensive." Uh, so this is a chance for me as a as a retailer or a fan. Uh, I'm talking about both uh, to help more people get into this. The barrier to entry is lower. Um, but then you also had folks that know, know that, you know, whether it's because of where they are, ge- you know, geographically or socioeconomically, you know, for one reason or another, they know that their uh, customer base uh, is static. And so they only saw $1 less they could make per book. Um, and, and, and I liked the two ninety nine price point, for example, but it is, um, it's hard to have a pricing that pleases all all three tiers of the direct market, which is to say, uh, and I guess four tiers, us as creators making the back end, uh, the publishers, the retailers, and of course you folks. So uh, I can't really endorse one thing or another other than to say, uh, I don't know if there'll ever be one single answer. My, my thing with the uh, 399 price point, at least with Marvel, it makes sense. Like we're still technically getting a $2.99 book with a dollar added on for the digital code, which Eddie, by the way, if you have any extra digital codes, Holla at your boy. Get no, really? You literally give me the code. Whoa. I'll give you my friendship. You you've given me that and, and much more. And I can get your comics. <sighs> yes, I know. You've offered. Well, I mean the digital ones. Oh. To be continued. <laughs> but I digress. And in you know, in regards to just the future of comics, I'm I'm very optimistic and hopeful because have you noticed, you know, with the pandemic and everything going on? an increase in comic book readership? I feel like there is due to, you know, the nature of how comics are. You don't need to go out to a movie theater to see this. You can, you know, maybe even, you know, do it on your tablet with the Marvel Unlimited app or Comixology or DC Universe, whatever the hell. And, you know, all of these different things, you can enjoy a comic anywhere, even more so than a movie. Um, I think you are seeing... You know, realistically, because of how the industry works, the results are kind of just coming in. Uh, But I do know that publishers that stuck through uh, and and kept and and stayed the course of producing content and were reliable to both retailers and fans, 
uh, are doing better than they were before right now. Um, so I do think even though the supply channels are changing, and, yeah, there's probably more people doing digital, more people doing mail order, take your pick. Um, I do think, honestly, that a lot of what happened in the past year was, was painful change that we needed to have happen. And it's going to keep happening. We have to keep evolving. Um, but, um, you know, I'm glad to still be here and to have gotten through it. Uh, and I think a lot of people are because we are, at minimum, we're reaching um, new people. Um, and, and we are forcing ourselves to innovate. And that can, like I said, that can hurt sometimes. But also, you got to do it. You know, we can't keep doing things the way they were even done in 2000. I don't want to say when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, you could buy comics in a newsstand. Mm-hmm. So um, the industry always has to change and evolve. Our job is to make the stories and give them to as many people as possible. Uh, and, yeah, I think that in some ways the fact that it's easier to do that with comics than some other types of media has helped. I'm interested to see what happens when we're really, really back. God knows when that's going to be um, and where things are then. No, the long and short of it is I think the readership is changing, um, and I think we have to catch up and really what's next is going to be changing our rubrics for success so we really know how books are doing. Uh, and I don't even know if things are there yet. And, you know, obviously in these trying times with a lot of comic shops, you know, they're hitting hard times, some of them. You know, some have to close due to COVID and, you know, do temporarily online stuff. Like, for example, one of my favorite comic shops in New York State is Haven for Heroes. And as a result, they're doing, you know, online auctions, which, by the way, congrats, guys. They hit their $5,000 goal, I believe. Yeah. By the end of the second day. And, you know, being able to sell stuff online and they're doing like, you know, uh, curbside pickup and whatnot. Now, during these times, yourself, do you have a specific comic shop you go to, you know, at this moment, and you help support them during these times? Uh, I mean, to be honest, in Boston, we're in phase two, so I, I'm confident in saying that I don't believe that they're even open. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and that that's obviously a regional thing. Um, I do love Kamikaze in Cambridge and Boston. Um but I, in the pandemic, have mostly become a, a digital reader, uh, both because my physical reading list is two shelves of books uh, that, with my work, I, I rarely get to crack into. Uh, and, yeah, like for the reasons we discussed, um, if, if there, there is an impulse buying aspect to it. I have an issue with that. Uh, it's, not just, it's not just character shirts. And so um, I've definitely probably been doing more digital reading than I ever have. And at the same time, uh, I have been doing uh, purchases over, over uh, you know, in, in mail order for places like Third Eye as well. Uh, but I honestly don't even know in Boston if things are allowed to be open ever since we rolled back to phase two, because in all honesty, I have, now that I can't go to the gym, don't leave my house uh, and, and probably won't until uh, the summer when I come up in the vaccination, I don't want to say lottery, but round. <laughs> But in regards to, you know, digital just now, you mentioned with Comixology, we and when I mentioned to you the uh, issue of the Fantastic Four for you to read for uh, Fantastic Voyage, you sent me the Comixology link. And I'm just like, oh, look at Mr. Money over here buying his two dollar comic book. But (laughs) I digress. I'm kidding. I digress. Um, With that, do you do any of the online subscription services like a Marvel Unlimited or DC Universe? I think Infinite, it's called. Uh, I mean, I don't. Uh... You know, and that is uh, because, 
Well, I mean, the real. I mean, I haven't been offered them. Uh, I mean, I would take them if DC or Marvel offered them to me free of charge. But outside of that, those deals aren't always the best. Uh, you know, they always have the best kickbacks for creators. And I'm happy to pay money for things. Like you're joking, but like uh, there are plenty of creators who will who will who will like torrent their reference uh, in a pinch. Um, and you know, money is tight, so I understand that. But when I can, and it's almost all the time, because I don't have any other expenses now, yeah, I, I'll happily pay money for things because someone made that. Uh, and Unlimited and DK Infinite are great, but they do. I mean, similar to like you know the thing that went on with the WWE Network and and uh, the loss of VHS and DVD sales. Like, well, I can. I'm happy to do the thing that puts the most money back in the hands of folks that made a book. Do you do? Do you ever partake in uh, comicsology sales from time to time? Because I know I do. <laughs> uh, constantly, as I just discussed, I have issues with impulse buying, so <laughs> I, I almost have to stop myself uh, from checking it daily. Oh my god! I'm honestly that's me with X Men. Like I have almost all of the current run, and then I have everything from issue number one all the way up to I think 1998 uh, or 99, and yeah, it. It it's so worth it though. It's so it's so awesome to see that collection grow. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I my, my issue now is that I think my iPad is gonna break because of how much shit is on it. Because when I was when I was exclusive at DC, I would get all their books. On, I mean, most of their comps were digital at that time. So you know, when I get on my when I get on my iPad, it's like loading thirty thousand comics, and I'm just like, okay, but I only want four. Okay, I have mine. Uh, I need to. We need so, to do a compare. <laughs> sure. Let's see what my comicsology says in terms of individual issues and collections. Let's see. Okay, that's my my cloud current or my uh, on the device has two hundred forty five, three thousand two hundred sixty two. Well, you got a long way to go, man. <laughs> I do. Good lord, do I? The funny thing is, I think it was actually by accident. You're only supposed to get the books that come out after you sign up. But I had like some issue with me not getting even my own books there, and then I went on one day and I just had every single book that ever published. Wow. Um, and now that is the case, uh, you know, up until when I went off contract. So I can't complain. I can always find more things to read on there. Although my my list right now is mostly Marvel stuff because I've been returning to that now that I'm there. Um, the thing I'm actually most excited to read is the old, uh, not the old, old, but the mid-90s Roy Thomas Invader series, uh, which I haven't looked at since I was a kid. Um, and I actually, uh, a thing that I haven't gotten to work on yet at Marvel that I hope to someday is I really love the Android Human Torch. I'm probably one of like five people, and if there's more, awesome. There are uh, dozens, so dozens of us. <laughs> I'm hoping that we can do some stuff with him eventually, but I'm excited to read more stories of him. And I love the Destroyer, too, actually. And, you know, by the way, with Comixology, do you, do you have a uh, Comixology Unlimited account? I don't, know. I highly recommend it for the fact it's only five ninety nine a month, and no, this is not a paid commercial for Comixology, but they give you, a, uh, I think, a 15% off discount on the book. So when a book is like 98, 99 cents, you can get it for $0.84. Cents. Or, you wow. know, it, it, it does add up a lot, you know, and it helps out quite a bit, so... When, you know, you see a collection of the uh, Marvel Epic collections that go for, like, about $8, you end up getting them for $6.49. I think that's kind of, you know, a really good deal. So uh, No, it, it sounds like one, and I will look into it. I'm like, 
uh, as I said, I do have an issue with uh, impulse buying. I see those sales, and I'm like, yeah, I could read this. Oh, I own this in hard copy, but that's all the way in the other room. So, <laughs> oh, God, you just described me, too. <laughs> I, right. In, so, like, again, just a mini aside, but right now for myself, um, I'm, I'm on a big Frank Miller kick. So it's like, you know, all of his Marvel stuff, a lot of his DC stuff, and... I'm currently trying to track down. I have digital. I have a physical copy. I have the noir copy. And I'm trying to track down now the individual copies of Dark Knight Returns, for example. And every time I see it, uh, Hachi Machi. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's a problem. And I, I am also like, I don't necessarily always need the singles, but I am a big, uh, I will give it up really easy for like uh, a bougie oversized format of something. So like, I'm pretty sure I own Flex Mantello in every single format uh, that it's been published. And that includes singles in that case. And I'm always going to, uh, you know, I will keep doing more. I've been trying uh, to find Flex for a long time. I can't find it anywhere. Like the uh, floppies of those. It, the first issue was always the really hard one. Yeah. Cause like, um, I, but I, actually, I did finally track it down, and then I have, uh, I have, uh, I have all the floppies, and then I have a second set of all of the floppies that I uh, made into a hardcover myself and got found. Uh, I love seeing those. And then I have both. I have the collection as well. The collection is recolored, so the colors are a little different. If you could please uh, throw up on your uh, Twitter or just like DM it to me, I would love to see how that the uh, the self bound books look. I would love to see that. Uh, it's a big orange book, but I will definitely do that. If I don't do it, just poke me, and I'm happy to send you a picture. Right on, because yeah, because like stuff like that is just, it's so cool to see. Like I I know I've, over the past couple of years, I've seen people also do that with like the X Men runs, for example. Like the whole they will take you know their X Men run like with the ninety four and rebound those as well, which it's like. That's insane, you know, because considering how much those books go for individually. Hi, uh, WWE official Jason Ayers with your struggle to collect those X-Men books. Uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I have, so what do I have? I have, the, I only did it three times. I did it for Flex Mentello. Uh, I did it for, actually, Cully Hamner and James Robinson's Firearm, which was an Ultraverse title for back in the day. Uh, and then I also did it for... Uh, the uh, both runs of the Len Strzewski and Mike Parabek Justice Society. So those are the three I have. Very cool. All right, so this is going to wrap this episode up for today. Steve, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Hey, Steve, one last thing for myself that I'm thinking, uh, trying to reflect on what I know personally about the character of Man-Thing, our, our muck monster. And I think for me, I was first introduced to him in the the reboot, I guess, in what, 1979, that, that series, and that first issue, which was told in, I think, the second person, the word you is used a lot in that, and I think I remember the end of it, is that, are you crying, man monster? No, it must be the moisture of the swamp kind of stuff. But I, at some point, got to the first, first issue and got introduced to Ted Salas and saw how, you know, as we typically know and most people maybe just casually know the character and you feel sorry for what's happened to him. I mean, this is the complete 180-degree polar opposite of what the serum did versus Captain America. So those are the two extremes, I think. But not not to take it totally out of perspective, but I think when I first read who Ted Salas was, he didn't come off as really the warm and fuzzy, a really nice guy. You're right, and uh, we, we explore that even more in the book. 
you know, but you are correct. Ted is a dude, I mean, you know, his story is tragic, uh, but also, you know, he was so obsessed with success uh, that <laughs> there's got to be a reason that Alan Brand sells him out to AIM, you know? Yep. Uh, the minute I read that, I was like, okay, he's got to be something of a dick uh, for this to happen. And uh, listen, we noticed that too, and you're, you're going to see more about why uh, when the book comes out. And Mark and I and Francesco in the first issue, uh, we're really proud of what we do with them. Because as I said, we are not doing, um, there are revelations in the book, but it doesn't change anything that's happened before. It only enriches what you already know about him. So where uh, I was kind of going with this was, how do you feel generally about the character other than, oh, he's making me, I'm still working, I'm still earning a paycheck. How do you feel, uh, you know? Does he resonate with you? Do you do you relate to him? And you know, not the same way as you relate to Spider Man, but well, it's funny you should say that because when we're done, uh, I think you will be able to relate to him in a way much more, much more like a Peter Parker type character. Uh, and that is not to say he's an everyman who like can't make the rent, but he, I mean, we are looking at him in a way that, that addresses what you're talking about and wants to make him more relatable. Uh, so, I mean, I, it's really hard for me to answer other than to say by the end of this book, I do find him pretty relatable. Uh, and then beyond that, I would be in spoiler territory. Um, but you have diagnosed uh, what we also thought uh, could be done as part of the 50th anniversary celebration to really embolden this character. Uh, and what you're talking about, making him more relatable, yeah, even though he is kind of a dick, uh, that's the part about positioning him for the next 50 years. So you're dead on. Wow. Uh, I wish, okay. And I wish I could tell you more, but you're going to see in a couple months. No, I think I'm in. I'm pretty gosh darn sure I'm in on this one. But, uh, no, I just wanted to bring up the fact that from the beginning, that's what you, you knew about Ted Salas. And then, of course, he can't talk and do any. So you, you empathize with him and you feel for him and you feel sorry, all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and again, part of my introduction to Man Thing was in the Marvel team-up and so on. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you here. Eddie scared me about when he put his hand on the table, by the way. That was my emphasis. Mm -hmm. So, as we were saying, Steve Orlando, thank you again. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to see it. And also, I, you know, the, it's going to be a gorgeous book. Uh, so I, I can't wait for you guys to read it, and I can't wait for you guys to see what's going on. I just got the cover to the part three, um, and it, it's probably the best one yet. Daniel Acuna on the covers. I'm really, really lucky. Uh, yeah, I just I couldn't have been set up more with, with a story that I'm really proud of uh, from my first Marvel debut. So All right, get I after just, it. Uh, find me online. Ask me anything you want. I'll answer what I can. I, I, this is not a specul. This is only speculation. It's not. Uh, it's not a spoiler. But I'm thinking. Oh, oversized pop up book. Yeah, there we go. Okay, he's gonna reach out for you. No, <laughs> come on. Somebody's gonna do that. Somebody's gonna do that. You're welcome in advance. Here we go. Yeah, give me give me a hologram like and then give me a hologram card inside in the cover like in 1996 <laughs> and I'll be there. God, I miss those days. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> Before we go, Steve, how can people get a hold of you on them and our social medias? It's really easy. On Twitter, I'm the Steve Orlando, and on Instagram, I'm also the Steve Orlando. So uh, you can find me on either of those. Uh, the Venn diagram is more comics, less exercise on Twitter. More exercise, less comic on Instagram, but there's always a little about. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Steve Orlando. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! <laughs>